everyone. I'm Chrissy Regan, and this is the Everyday Wellness Podcast with Chrissy. And I'm joyful and happy and delighted today to welcome my friend and dual marathon runner, Tristan Nellyman Adams. Hi, Tristan. Hey, Chrissy. How are you? Good day to everyone out there who's listening um, on this podcast. Um, definitely get on board and support Chrissy and all her stuff that she's doing. Oh, that's too kind. Thank you very much. So we've spent a lot of time together, run sweating and hopefully inspiring other people this year. But you're not long back from running the oldest marathon in the world in Athens, which gives me goosebumps when I think about it. So tell me how a boy from the Torres Strait Islands finds his way to Athens. Yeah, I definitely can. So um, bit of a long one. So probably in the last few weeks, I just came back from, like I said, Athens over in Greece, running the authentic original marathon. Um, so marathon is 42 kilometers, quite a long way. Um, so, you know, it's something that not a lot of people can do. And once people do it, it definitely changes their life forever. So um, backtrack a little bit in 2021. So last year, um, I applied it for a program called the Indigenous Marathon Project, which is here on my shirt, if you can see. Mm-hmm. So the Indigenous Marathon Project um, is a part of the Indigenous Marathon Foundation as a whole. Um, and that's run by and founded by um, a famous Australian runner called Rob DiCostello. Rob DiCostello. So Rob DiCostello is proper famous, um, you know, back in the 80s and uh, early 90s. You know, he's, he's ran marathons all over the world. He's won um, Boston Marathon, ran really well in New York, um, you know, completed at Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games, all the things. He's done it all in terms of running um, in the sport of marathons. So... In 2010, he founded um, the foundation, the Indigenous Marathon Foundation, where he sought after four young Aboriginal men um, to train them up from zero to running a marathon in six months. It's a huge task. People that run know how hard that is. And people that are quite good runners will tell you that's absolutely crazy doing that. So um, he, he built up the foundation and in the span of six months, trained these four young men to um, basically nothing to be able to run a marathon. And what they did was they went over to New York City in America um, and they took on the New York City Marathon. At the time, he didn't really know how they would all go. Their preparations were hindered. He didn't really know how it turned out. But um, what he was trying to do was to try and see if Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young men and women um, could be on par athletics, athleticism-wise with some of the great um, African runners, so the Kenyans and the Ethiopians, and have they dominate the sport of running? He wanted to see if Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people could do exactly the same. So, um, what he found though was, um, yeah, we're really good at running, and yeah, we can do some really incredible things. But um, it became more about running. It came about inspiring their communities. It came about inspiring their families. It came about inspiring the whole of Australia. So those four young men, they crossed the finish line in America um, and they became the very four, first four graduates of the Indigenous Marathon Project. That was in 2010. That went on for another 11, uh, well, 12 years, including this year. So I was a part of the squad last year. And I went through exactly the same journey. So, um, you know, I'm notoriously not a runner. I'll tell people I hate running because <laughs> I do. Um, but what I did was I'm traditionally a rugby league player and I stepped out of my comfort zone, applied for the marathon project, um, was successful in getting it. And last year went on the most roller coaster journey of my life, um, which in- concluded in running a marathon last year. Um, but due to COVID um, 
you know, COVID factors from around the world. Um, usually they go over to New York City. So it's been a thing where since 2010, all the way through, they've gone to New York City to run the marathon. Last year, we were very blessed, actually, to be able to run it in Alice Springs at night time. So um, it was more special for us and more special for us as Indigenous people. Uh, well, Jen, fast forwards on to this year where they asked us, because we never got to go to New York, do you want to go over to Greece and represent Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people on the world stage and get you a chance to run an international marathon and do that by tackling uh, the authentic original marathon in Athens? And I said, sign me up. <laughs> so that's how it all came about. And that's how, um, yeah, just over three, four weeks ago, uh, recently, I took part and I, you know, I started the finish line I mean, I took place um, and was on the starting line in an actual little town called Marathon and ran to Athens. And it was a crazy, crazy experience. Been a crazy 24 months. So very blessed. Mm, it sounds, I've got goosebumps listening. And I read your post about the bus ride to the start line. You said it was one of the most beautiful sunrises you've ever seen. Yeah, it, it was incredible. Um. I've never been overseas before, so the whole international travel journey was just something, something else. Um, you know, I'm the I'm from um, the Torres Strait, so a little island called uh, Thursday Island is the capital. But also, I spent a lot of time in a little island called Murray Island, which is um, far east, and that's the famous, notorious for um, the Indigenous advocate um, Kwaki Mabo, who fought for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander land rights. So. You know, I'm proud to be able to come from such a strong um, generation of people. So I've never, ever been overseas. And, you know, as a kid growing up and still now as an adult, I thought overseas was something, you know, you see in movies, you know, going to places that overseas and, you know, exploring the world, which is not something that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people do, um, which is sad, but it's kind of the reality of the world we live in. So, you know, Traveling overseas and going on big airplanes and getting my passport and um, going to for duty free at the airport and um, seeing people that, you know, they're human beings just like us, but they can't speak English. And it was just all such a cultural um, eye opener for me. And Greece was a beautiful country. And yeah, heading out in the bus um, out to the starting line, I remember it was a very, very quiet bus ride. Everyone was a bit nervous um but yeah as we headed out the beautiful greek coastline and the beautiful sunrise as the sun was coming up was something i'll never forget um and i just was going for my phone the other day and i was grateful i got like a little four second video of it but it's still pretty cool and it was one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen in my life um who knew that what something so beautiful that wasn't beautiful that light ahead <laughs> Well, exactly, but let's rewind for a second because are you telling me I don't need my passport to go to Murray Island? <laughs> no, you don't. So I uh, definitely get for a trip up trip up there. Definitely go see the Torres Strait, Cape York. There's some um, beautiful country up there, both um, you know on the Cape York and the mainland, especially up on the islands. It's like people from Australia have never been up there. It's some place that you've never seen before. Crystal blue waters, magnificent fishing. Um, you know, beautiful people, beautiful culture up there. So. Definitely head up to Murray Island. I had the joy to meet some more Torres Strait Islanders in Mackay in um, June when we did the um, Indigenous Marathon National Championships. And tell me about the little dance that everyone did for us on the last night, which was just phenomenal. Yeah, so um, like you said, we went to the Raw Championships um, and it's 
it was pretty cool because a lot of uh, communities from all over Australia brought their own wool groups. And as a part of that, they had to um, create and design their own message stick would be seen as a baton relay. So it was, it was beautiful to see all the different cultures, you know, far north up from, you know, Elko Island, all the way down south to Adelaide, you know, up through Cape York, everywhere. Um, all brought some magnificent teams across. And of course, a dead little team from Torres Strait and the Fresley Island Deadly Runners. So, you know, I was really blessed because I growing up there, you know, I hadn't seen, you know, Bala Lucas and Bala Abs, who's a, a graduate as well. So he's a big part of why I joined him at Indigenous Marathon Project, Bala Harold, but also seeing my two uncles, um, Uncle Kiri and Uncle Michael Zitha. So it was really good to, you know, reconnect with them. But, you know, it was really beautiful that uh, no matter how far you are, no matter how far away you go from the Torres Strait, you know, we just always have our heart on our sleeve and we always are very proud of our culture. So, um, you know, I was very blessed that they were able to perform a traditional dance called Kumiranga. Um, and that's just kind of like a dance, which is kind of, it's just like a normal dance that everyone does throughout the Torres Strait, which is, symbolizes coming together. So it was pretty cool that no matter how far away you go from your home, um, you know, they were still very proud of their culture. They were still very blessed to show it with the rest of Australia. Much like when I went to Greece, you know, I still wore little things that represented my Torres Strait culture, even though I was a long way from Yeah, it's beautiful. And um, I'm going to ask you a few other questions around that later, but tell me a bit about what happens in Athens because it wasn't your ideal marathon run, was it? No, and look, running a marathon is hard full stop um but when things don't go right it's definitely makes it for a bit more challenging so like I said I, on the way out everything was really amazing I've never experienced such international marathons before even big events um the closest we've come to it was the Gold Coast Marathon you know where yourself ran the marathon um, early in June and I took part in it so um just getting off the bus and seeing all the thousands of people there was about you know, geez, hundreds and hundreds of buses that pulled up, about 17,000 people. Not many people spoke English, so we're just following with the crowd and they're trying to tell us things and we have no idea. So we're just walking and walking for ages. We finally get to a spot um, and, of course, everyone needs to go to the toilet. So we had about 45 minutes of people just trying to find toilet using port and running out of toilet paper and, of course, just little things that happened before a race. So, um. It, but it, the vibes and the atmosphere was something so extremely special and extremely um, rare, but something I've never experienced before. And I hope to experience if I go do more international marathons around the world. So um, we warmed up as a crew. You know, there was about 10 of us. Um, well, there was about nine of us, actually, that were graduates uh, last year or the year before. And we were given that opportunity to go overseas to earn our international marathon. There were two squad members from this year's squad um, that for various reasons couldn't go to New York, so they joined us in Athens, which I thought was pretty special. But we got to witness them finish their journey, and I know how powerful that is. When we finished it in Alice Springs last year, how amazing it was to be there for them. And, of course, we had uh, the great man, um, Damien Tuck, who's the IMP head, uh, head coach. So, you know, we're lucky that he was our coach. We have such a special bond with him. He's a good man. And he was he ran as well. So that was pretty cool. So, um, all of that happened. We all ran as a crew. We warmed up and everything was good. 
Um, for the first five kilometers, we definitely felt like we were running a marathon. The vibes were high, you know, we were, yeah, woohoo, and we we're going, and we we're, um, we had Australia written on the back of our singlets, so everyone would run past and they're like, "Oh, Australia, or go, go Aussies," and then you had some randoms uh, saying, "Oh, Wallabies suck, or Socceroos are gonna lose in the World Cup." So, you know, it, the vibes were just insane. Um, we actually saw. I'm now thinking of it. Another lady. She was from Sydney and she had an Aboriginal flag on. I don't know who she was or where she came from, but I remember talking to her and that's the last I saw her at the starting line because, um, you know, it was a long way to the end. So shout out to whoever you are. That's just the other <laughs> So she was, um, as the race started going, the first five kilometers were pretty cool. Um, we, we actually got to cross paths once with each other. So we had to go to a fountain, which was Athena's fountain, um, on the way to a marathon, which is a really, really big fountain that had the statue of Athena in it. And we thought that was pretty cool. Um, you go around the fountain, which is a big roundabout, which is a couple hundred meters. So it's really cool. And But when you come back, that's the only time we ever cross paths with um, the rest of our little crew. So it's funny, but I high five some of the people. We're only about maybe... 20 minutes in, I high-fived with them. And then I remember talking to one of the other brothers and I was like, all right, we're not going to see them to the end for another six hours. So um, we were just, all the vibes were really fun and really high. It was a bit of a a bit of a pack at the back of us. There was about four of us, um, all kind of just trodden along, um, really easing into it and feeling good. Um, I started to feel really good with myself and I've been training really hard. So I wanted to give it a bit of a crack. So I left that pack and I kind of went ahead. So from five kilometers through to 10 kilometers, um, just enjoying it, enjoying. I remember um, I'm picturing in my head that I was running on the right. There was beautiful, beautiful mountain-esque, you know, Greek scenery. Um, you know, we'd go past some little villages and um, there was old ladies and Greek togas and they were doing the traditional Greek dancing and that was really cool. All the little kids um, along the both parts of the street were handing out olive branches and you grab one in the back of my headband and I ran for that for ages. Um, I think it fell out along the way because I couldn't I didn't have it at the end core thing. So it was all really, really fun. That first 10 kilometers was just exactly what I thought the whole thing would have been like. Yeah. Unfortunately, about 10 kilometers in, I'm running. Um Greek roads are probably not the best, and I hit a bit of a divot and when I hit the divot um, I remember my left foot kind of went in and I just remember having an instant sharp pain running all the way up my foot um, both on the bottom and the top of my foot. Um, I've got a history of plantar fasciitis which is a classic like runner's um, injury so I thought oh man this is very early for my plan to be to be playing up so um, it doesn't matter I'll just trot along um, I then started to notice a pain on the top of my foot, which is something I've never felt before and is a bit new. So about 10 and a half kilometers, 11 kilometers in, uh, I just started to hurt that much, but I couldn't really run and I couldn't really walk. So I couldn't put any weight on it. So I remember there was a railing on my right and I just kind of fell onto the railing and hopped on one foot for a long time. Morgan, Clinton, and Bonnie, who were um, with me at the back of the pack, um, they shortly overtook me, and they uh, they were they were they were bored, like they were stressing too, because like Tris, you were cruising. What's wrong? And I was like, I don't know. Just don't worry about me. Run your race, and I'll, I'll see you at the finish line. I'll see you up ahead once I come good. So they took off. Um, all three of them went past me. 
Um, at that stage, it was quite hot too. So I think I was just kind of feeling a bit, oh, a bit cooked. So I was hot. My foot was sore and I was limping. So from 10 kilometers till about 25. So for 15 kilometers, I hopped on one foot and walked um, as much as I could without being sore. And I hopped again and walked, hopped and walked. And I was like, I was flying the first time 10 kilometers. So it was a bit disappointing. And I felt started to feel a bit down, thinking, why am I going so slow and times and all that? So that kind of went into my head. And that's what was a bit affecting me. Um, at the 25 kilometer mark, or actually before that, from 10 all the way through to 25, there were some medical guys on like the edge of the street um but they were, looked a bit dodgy eh? they had board shorts on and one bloke was puffing durries and um they were like based in little bus stops so they didn't really look um exactly like they would give some good advice so i kept walking running hopping whatever i could do just to get going but at the 25 kilometer mark i saw a tent and i had seen tents all course um and there were some nice physio tents like tables set up so I saw these blokes, my oh, choice, they must be physios from the university or something they could help me out. Um, I went over to them. There again, communication was hard. So I told them, like, my foot was sore and I, I don't know what's going on. Do you have any painkillers? I asked them painkillers. And they're like, oh, we'll have a look. Um, they told me to take my shoe off. I was so hesitant to take my shoe off. That's like a no-no you can do when running long distances. I took off my shoe. Um and then instantly my foot just swelled up to like a balloon. It was like massive purple, gross colours. Um, they were trying to like do assessments and stuff, but it was just hurting too much. So they're like, oh, exactly where the physio was, exactly across the road was an ambulance. So like we walk over to the ambulance, I hop over to the ambulance. The ambulance, is, um, they're probably a bit more better. They're talking English and they're letting me know what's going on. They said, oh, I think you've got stress fractures on the top of your foot and also your plantar fasciitis playing up on the bottom of your foot. So it's just, you can't really do much. Um, and I said, oh, can I have some painkillers and I'll keep going. They're like, keep going. Like, you're you're done, mate. Like, you're not going to be able to finish it. Let's do 17 kilometres. That's a long way. And you're no capable way of walking or running. Like, you had to, we had to help you to get from one side of the road to the other. How are you going to go for another 17 kilometres? So they gave me some pain um, painkillers and I'm sitting in the back of the paramedics and I'm like, oh man, I didn't come all the way to Greece to not finish. And I'm starting to feel a bit down, crying, like a, as runners do when you run a marathon, you get so much of the little things. You could have the breeze blowing in there and the breeze stops and you're crying. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> so it's just, that's how I was feeling. So from the 10 kilometer, two to 25 kilometer, I was already an emotional wreck and playing in my own head and, you know, fighting demons just to get that far. When they told me I was done, I just accepted defeat. Um, they told me, they started me asking me questions. Where are you staying? Where's your emergency contact? Who can we contact? All these things. Like, So then in my head, it started to become a bit real, but, you know, I probably won't finish this. probably won't get a chance to finish it. Um, so I started to get all those things and I had my phone on me so I was trying to find people's numbers and work out where we're staying um and they gave me some painkillers here you go mate put the pain take this in case um it'll take the pain down and we'll you know when you get back we'll take it to the hospital all that um as they gave me the painkillers they left it on the bench they had my shoe next to the bench because they told me not to put my shoe back on and I was like I was adamant I wanted to keep going but they said no mate don't you're done like don't run don't run 
That's what they kept saying, don't run, don't run. Um, and I heard, you know, commotion in Greek language, and then all of a sudden they've grabbed their trauma kit and they ran out, and there was a little man that was running past and he passed out, poor fella, so he just passed out on the ground. So he obviously must have, he was hurting, so just exhausted his body. I saw this as an opportunity. Once he was passed out, I've taken a bottle of water. They said, take four painkillers. Four should be enough. I think I popped about 10 or 11. Um, and I was like looking. I tied my, put my shoe back on. Didn't even tie my shoelace because I knew that the tightness was sort of hurted it. So I just tucked the shoelace on the side, popped about 10, 11, whatever their Panadol is or whatever their painkiller thing was. And I remember saying, well, you're either going to overdose and die or you're going to finish this man up front. So, um, yeah, I popped out of it and I just started walking and then walking quite fast in case they tried to get me. And then um, once it started to kick in, I could run again, which was good. So um, then I started to run, walk, run, walk for the last 17 kilometres. Um, I didn't actually put this on my Facebook post, Chrissy, but I remember my Garmin died. So... Technically, I never ran a marathon, if it means anything, on Strava. <laughs> so, hey, um, dude. No, 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 no. Hold up those two medals. You've run two marathons. you got two medals. Forget yeah. about the Garmin, okay? Forget about the Garmin. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think the big thing about when that died, it played in my head because I didn't know how far I was and all the measurements were in Greek, so I couldn't, oh. I couldn't tell what numbers where I were. So okay. I was just running. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know how far I was. I know didn't know what time it was because if I could tell what time it was, I could tell gauge how long I've been going for. But I was just cruising. Yeah. And then um, I remember I was having conversations with people in my head that weren't even there. So I'm talking to someone, they answer me back, and then I kind of snap back in reality. I was like, did we just have a conversation? Yeah. I remember I was like hallucinating. I was seeing little dinosaurs run past. Um, there was a little. <laughs> just taken ten Greek narcotics, basically. <laughs> There was a lot of things going on. And then um, I started to realize that um, the only marker I ever saw or ever could understand, or I must have heard someone say, was 35. So I'm like, oh, 35 Ks, I've only got seven to go. So then I started to feel really good. I'm cruising, I'm having a good time. I started to enjoy it as much as you can enjoy it. I was still in so much pain, still fighting so many demons, still mentally and physically hurting. Um, but then I started to come towards Athens. So they had like, DJ booth set up and more crowd and, you know, party atmosphere and it was fun and enjoyable. And I started to enjoy that. And I had a little dance with a little girl. She was probably six on the side of the room. I'm about to do this. Um, and as I was going through Athens, the the streets are very windy. Like you take a sharp left and you run for 100 minutes, take a sharp right. We keep doing that for a long time. I remember looking up ahead and I saw a yellow singlet take a right. And I'm thinking, oh, that could be one of us. Like, surely there's no more IMP, my daddy. Like everyone's done. So that's when I really probably emptied my bucket, which is a term used in IMF, just to give it as much as you got. So I probably gave it everything I had just to catch up and see if I'm if I saw something or if it was just someone with a yellow signal. And as I got ahead, I realized that it was two of my one of my best mates in the world. Um, they went through the IMP squad of me. One was Clinton and one was Bonnie. And then I've like just sprinted as hard as I could to them and then I've just started crying. I was, and I remember saying, Oh my have you oh my gosh, you have no idea. You have no idea what I just went through. And they're just laughing. They're like, where have you been? They didn't even care. They're like, oh, we thought you were finished. So then they were just having a good old time. Like I was a long way behind them. So I really had to hustle to get up towards them. And they were just cruising, having a good old time. Um, 
So you literally escaped from the back of an ambulance with your shoe to finish yes. your marathon. Exactly. And I, I yeah. And I, does, does it feel worth it now? At the time, you obviously saying, am I crazy? But are you glad you did it? Yeah. And if you ask me if I'll do it again, yeah, I probably would. <laughs> I just feel like I... I had to travel all the way over to the other side of the world. There was nothing that was going to stop me. And 17,000 people took the starting line of that marathon and only 12,000 finished. So 5,000 people just dropped out. Or 5, it's a huge people. number to do a marathon. Like, obviously, I haven't um, – 7,000 in Melbourne felt like a lot, you know, because yeah. we started up the front with the elite runners and the thought of 7,000 people behind me was enough to make me run my butt off for yeah. 10Ks because I didn't want to get steamrolled by another 7,000 people. And because we were with IMF, we were really blessed where we were in wave two. There was 14 waves. Wow. <laughs> so – we wow. were in wave two. The pros went and they went off, and then there was all us. The as you can see, the second pros. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we all joined them. So I remember we were like people that were cruising because you could tell by the colours. We would see like constant yellow bibs or blue bibs or gold bibs, and all of a sudden we'd see like a purple bib, and we're like, "What wave's that?" And we're like, "Oh, that's wave nine. So the people in wave nine have caught up to us and they're beating us. Um, but it was just so surreal and. Um, then I, yeah, then I ended up finishing the race with those two. We were all hurting, and then, you know, I felt like I could have kept going because I was three kilometers to go, and I was running really good, and I was running really freely, and I was probably just trying to run as fast as I could and finish it off. And then they, but then I ran ahead with them for about a hundred meters, and I looked back, and they were hurting, and I was kind of, I was hurting too, but I wasn't hurting as much as they were. So I came back to them. I said, you know what? Let's just finish it hand in hand. Yeah. Good on you. We ran, we ran through the city for the last few Ks. Um, probably some of the most enjoyable experience I've ever I've ever had in my life running with those two. And they're, they're literally my best mates. I talk to them every single day. I ring them or call them or text them without a doubt. So mm -hmm. to be able to finish the marathon with them hand in hand. I remember we were going, we were coming down a hill and then we just heard a roar of noise. I'm thinking that, like, what is that? But that was the crowd. Like, the whole Olympic Stadium was packed and there was just so many people there. Um, and as soon as we were on that home stretch, it was blue carpet all the way through, similar to Gold Coast. Um, and Bonnie and Clint were ecstatic. They were screaming and like, yeah, we did it. I was a bit dead, so I wasn't as much. And if you see any of the photos, I'm very dead in the photos. But I remember just seeing up in the distance a long way away just – the rest of the IMP crowd were there and they were cheering us, but you just saw the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flag. Like, so it was just so proud. I remember getting so emotional just at the sight of that. I and mean, we crossed the finish line hand in hand, which is what we planned to do. There's amazing photos of that, uh, some amazing videos. And then, um, you know, we were met by our coach who ran the marathon as well. Ben, he, he was the one that finished first. Then he stuck back and he waited for everyone else to cross the finish line so we could have a moment of them, like he's a crazy man. And then he, you know, was walking around the city that night too, trying to find us all dinner. Like he, he's a good follower, but it was just the most amazing experience. It was hard, yes. Um, was it physically and mentally and, you know, spiritually the toughest thing i've ever done yes but would i do another one absolutely it was so mm, it was beautiful and your photo from santorini was special i was in santorini about 12 years ago so i enjoyed seeing your picture too 
Yeah, yeah. So it was very definitely. So then we after Athens, the very next day, we went to Santorini for a bit of a holiday. Um, so we were some very sore and sorry bodies getting around Santorini that day. Yeah, I can imagine. It's not an easy place to walk around either. <laughs> no, it's not. So we had a bit of a villa, which is about maybe where the car park dropped us. It's probably about four or five hundred meters, but that four or five hundred meters seemed like a very long way carting our luggage to our villa. But it was all worth it, and it was just an amazing experience. And so I think that. Obviously, I've got to know you a bit over the last um, few years, but you mentioned about the fact that you had a big desire to run a marathon so, and that you had to face demons and everything else. But just give me an insight into what it's been like for you personally. Yeah, I think personally, um, you know, I've had the most growth I've ever had in my life and that's all due to the Indigenous Marathon Foundation and the Indigenous Marathon Project. Um, before, prior to 2021, I was just living a very unhealthy lifestyle. I was having my own issues going on in life. Um, I wasn't very, uh, how would I put it, as strong as I am now. Um, it was just a lot of things in my life um, were not who I was now as a person. And I think that, um, one, I was a footy player. So, you know, when you think of running, you think of getting smashed in preseason and doing heaps of little sprints and stuff. So if people were ever to tell me, do you want to come for a run this afternoon? I'm like, no way. Absolutely not. So um, I think uh, I owe it all to another good mate of ours called Neil Sabatino. Um, he actually, at one of my lowest points in life, he messaged me. He's like, hey, bro, do you want to go for a run on the Strand tonight? And I was like, no, nah, not really. But... In my head, I was like, you know what? If I go for a run the strand, I know I could probably beat Neil in a run, but I'd feel good about myself. Um, and as we went on the strand, what happened was he just took off and he blitzed me. But I had a little moment then where on the strand where I was running, I looked to my left, there's the beautiful magnetic island, the beautiful um, beach, you know, the sea breeze is hitting me in my, uh, my face. And I was like, you know what? Running's not that bad. Mm. Um, from there, he said, why don't you try for the Indigenous Marathon Project? And then I did, and from there, the rest is history. So throughout the Indigenous Marathon Project, um, you get placed with 12 other members from around Australia, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women, some amazing people in my squad. Um, you know, we had doctors, we had teachers, we had um, people working in government, we had advocates, we had some just amazing people. We had a young fellow from Aracoon, which, you know, has its own community issues as, as well, but you had a young fellow from there to be able to take on the world and he ran Athens as well and do what he did was amazing. So I had a lot of people that were would uplift me and inspire me and, you know, really show me to who the true person I am, I am today and gave me the strength. To, so the biggest thing in IMP and IMF, which you would have seen, Chrissy, is that there's no shame and it's completely okay to be vulnerable. So a lot of um, how I was last year and has flown on to the person I am now was being vulnerable with what I was going through and being um sharing a lot of what I had on my plate but being accepted for that and then um you know pushing through and finding the true strength um in who I am as a person and also finding strength in my voice to advocate for things such as you know community issues around youth um issues in towns for and especially mental health issues for you know young people and everyone in general so mm. That's you know, really interesting. Do you think part of your reason for not feeling good at that stage of your life was because you were far from home and feeling disconnected to who you truly were? Yeah, I, I reckon that was a huge part of it. And um, I just, 
was like, oh, geez, I, can look, I can't even remember who that person was, if I look, if I'll be honest. Like, I, I was very disconnected in a lot of things. I just probably wasn't accepting of what was going on. My biggest um, trait I used to do, and, you know, probably a lot of young people do, especially young males, is that they try to suppress whatever bad's going on in their life, and they just put it all in a little bubble and they try to suppress it down or they say, nah, I'm okay or, you know, I'm fine, all those types of things. So um, I had a lot of mental health issues going on within myself. Um, I had a lot of just other issues like housing and all that type of stuff going on in my life, relationship um, issues. So once I really got back to the core of who I was and I found out, um, you know, I tried to heal myself and, you know, make sure that my cup was full and spiritually I was going okay, then came the mental aspect where I was going okay mentally, then became, you know, myself getting into physically good shape for running a marathon. So a lot of things came um, from running um, the marathon and being a part of IMP in 2021. People always just say, oh, mate, you're in a marathon. I'm like, yeah, but there was so much more. Than yeah, that's it's really awesome. It's more than a running program for sure. And you, you've kind of met, you're a teacher as well. Obviously, you're working in a all boys school, so you're exposed to that boys' mental health challenges, I guess, on a daily basis. Do you feel a lot of um, external pressure to be a positive role model? Um, I, I do, in a way, but I also am very proud that the boys see me as a role model. Like, I don't really see myself as a role model, but I'm glad that they do because, you know, I went to that school as well, Ignatius Park College, um, and growing up um, and going through that um, the school, there was not too many young male Indigenous role models who I looked up to. So I remember uh, there was, like, not a lot of people that I would look up to, especially young Indigenous males. So now that I'm working there, I just try to instill in them what I didn't have. So, mm. you know, students always just want to hang out with me which I think is pretty cool or they'll you know just want to come and talk about life so yeah I teach there and that's my job just the relationships I have with those young men and I'll be able I'll be able to you know help influence their lives so you know when they leave school not only are they um you know leaving school from education but you know they're leaving school with great morals they're good young men, they're proud of their culture, they're healthier within themselves and healthier within their community, um, and that's probably the biggest thing. I like to think of it as that there's, you know, whenever there's a year that graduates, so there's 18 year 12s that graduate this year, there's going to be 18 little new Tristans running around. Wow, so that's beautiful. They can, um, you know, just do some good things. And it's so important to have the opportunity to lift others up, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So it's just important just to be able to inspire others because that's the biggest thing about IMP as well and the biggest thing about the Indigenous Marathon Foundation is you never know who's truly watching. So you just go about your, your business, you just go about your everyday job, just be who you are and true to yourself. And, you know, you could get a text out of nowhere saying, hey, look, really inspired um, with what you're doing, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And those things mean a difference because you're just doing yourself and you're just doing what you think is just a normal day thing but other people are really inspired by that. So that's yeah. probably the biggest thing I've got over the last two years is that a lot of people have come on the journey with me and I've changed a lot of lives which I, I wouldn't have had. Yeah, exactly. You've inspired me too. You taught me a lot of great um, history, uh, Indigenous history, with your your lesson on Eddie Marbo uh, in June. I've not actually forgotten that. I think about it almost every day, to be honest. So that was really powerful for me. 
and and also you're a great hugger by the way you're one of the best huggers so when when you're a good runner and a good hugger it's something to be proud of (laughs) yes definitely and I think that's just um you know I think to be honest that's come all from growing as a person of who I am you know it's always never been seen as you know real men don't show emotions but me I love a hug yeah I love telling my friends I love them I love telling my parents I love them I love just being happy around a lot of people because that's just who I generally am yeah you come across as a very friendly person which is really wonderful and I I'm a hugger too so you always appreciate that bit of a hug on the start line before you're about to run a race because it can be quite lonely before we're both about to go through hell (laughs) exactly so what does inclusion mean to you personally um that's a good question I think inclusion is just means both well everyone um just working together towards the same goals so Aboriginal um Torres Strait non-Indigenous people you know it's just all about working together towards um the same goal and just being inclusive with whatever they're doing um I keep going back to the Marathon Foundation, but you can see that's a great example of it where, you know, it's was set up to help Indigenous people find themselves and excel, but what has happened is a whole lot more. We have a lot of people, um, Indigenous, non-Indigenous, coming together for a common goal, and that common goal is just to, you know, live a healthier lifestyle. That common mm-hmm. goal is just to have people around you that are like-minded, just to have people around you that are on the same journey. So mm-hmm. um, inclusion is for me is definitely everyone working together um, to be able to achieve the one goal or everyone working together to just be on the same path. And that's in numerous ways with it's, you know, running groups, football teams, you know, chess clubs, everything. Everyone should have the equal amount of right to be able to do something and do whatever that is that they want to do. Yeah, exactly. And I think school is, you know, part of that too. There's so many different ways that inclusion affects our lives. And you know, I've lived in countries where I've been the minority too. So yeah. when you've been a minority uh, in a non-English speaking country and you're pinched and pushed and prodded and shouted at or whatever happens to you, you very yeah. quickly start to understand what inclusion and exclusion feels like, you know. And, you know, not everybody gets a sense of that throughout their life. So I do really um, value that. And I think that one thing that I've got for myself personally out of um, being part of the Indigenous Marathon Foundation this year broadly is that sense of inclusion for me personally that I was missing and that sense of connectivity was something bigger than just myself and my local area, you know, because I know that it's happening all over Australia. I know that there are other people, you know, trying to do similar things to what I'm doing um, and they're also working together to help others and that's really important. Yes, exactly. I think that's the biggest thing that like we've both been like-minded upon is that we both just have the same goals and we have the same um, values. And that's what inclusion is all about, just working together with people that are on the same level as you. So. Yeah. Very blessed to meet you this year, Chrissy, and to do everything just with you. It's been pretty deadly. Thank you, my friend. So um, I want to ask you about your sense of responsibility to your ancestors, because after you tell that story about Eddie Marbo, um, you know, yeah. and it's a pretty powerful story the way that you told it. Um, I thought, do you feel for yourself a sense of responsibility going forward? I think I do, and I think all Indigenous people do, but I feel some people feel it more than others. Um, I have such a big 
cultural connection to my Torres Strait Islander culture. Um, I'm also Aboriginal from Awuthapi, which is in the eastern part of Cape York and Shelburne Bay. So both of my mobs, Aboriginal and Torres Strait, I have such a connection to, and I feel like it's a responsibility um, to, to continue that culture, but not only that, to continue the legacy of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people being very strong-minded, strong, hard-working, strong, dedicated people, which they have been for 60,000 years. I try to tell young boys um, at school, but also in the community of Townsville, that, you know, our people, um, traditionally our ancestors, they weren't gangsters. They didn't go around doing bug things, but what they were was they were proud warriors. They were hardworking people and, you know, they provided for their family and their communities. So that's what I like to tell them. And it's funny that I tell those things to a lot of young men in the community and their kind of light bulb mob happens and they they, they flick a switch because they realise that, you know, 60,000 years have happened um, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and you're letting it go in one generation. So it's kind of um, such a big responsibility that I feel, but not so much me. A lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people feel that responsibility to my ancestors. I'm just very blessed that I come from such a great lineage um, on Murray Island where Uncle Eddie Kwekimabo is from. So I feel that strong advocacy pride, but I also just feel like I have such a, because of my strong connection to culture, which a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, unfortunately don't have due to stone generation, I have that connection to culture, but I feel it's my obligation to share that with as many people as I can. Mm-hmm. And that one day when I have little kids, I'll pass on that knowledge to them and hopefully they can pass on to their kids and their kids so that they keep that lineage of Aboriginal Torres Islander history and Aboriginal Torres Islander culture alive for future generations. So that's the responsibility I feel, but also just being able to share it to like kids at school, to be able to talk language with my family that's still like passing on culture that's still shit celebrating it to be able to do traditional customs like dance like singing when all the family get together those are the things i really love which is i guess my responsibility to keep those things going yeah that's beautiful and is that one of the motivations for you to become a teacher or what was the 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 impetus behind it pretty much um i remember in torres strait growing up like i grew up in the torres strait then moved to Townsville shortly after. Um, but in the Torres Strait, it was in year six. Um, and at the time, or oh, year seven, actually. And at the time, that was the most before you go to high school. But in year seven, I had four different teachers that year. Um, obviously, it's a Torres Strait. Teachers come and go, different living circumstances. But all four of them um, came and went. And, you know, just like we had so much instability around our education, but only that just around most of them were non-Indigenous um, teachers teaching us. And it was just hard communication um, barriers, cultural barriers. So I remember very early on in life, I thought I would love to be a teacher and my end goal was to end up back in the Torres Strait so little kids don't have to go what I went through and I can be a real pillar of hope and, you know, a pillar of education for a lot of the young kids in Torres Strait. Um, so that's exactly why I wanted to become a teacher. From early on, from grade seven to so 12 years old, I knew I wanted to become a teacher and that's all I've ever wanted to do and that's all I've ever known. But also becoming a teacher in the lead up to that, um, you know, I worked as a teacher aide with Indigenous kids. I worked as a teacher aide with kids with uh, learning differentiates and disabilities. So 
got to learn a whole lot more around that type of aspect and have a whole lot more respect for families that have young children with disabilities. I got to work in after school care. So, you know, I was out there afterwards looking after little kitties and raking sand pits and playing puzzles with little kids. And I got to work as a grandsman at some stage. So I was out there mowing the lawns and hedging hedging bushes. So in terms of education, yeah, I'm a teacher now, but I've done so much more that makes me really appreciate every aspect within a whole school. I always say at Iggy Park and with every other school I go through, the most important people in life and the most important people in school are the little people. So the tuck shop ladies, the groundsmen, the office ladies, they're the most important people at school, not the principals and um, the priests and all that, just the little people that matter that make the school operating what it is. That's always been my ethos. That's a great story, mate. You should write a book. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, English is not my strong point, but I can I can talk a lot, but I can't write. So. Just, just do an audio book. That's easy. Yeah. And so what is your legacy for youth then? You've kind of described it there, but is there anything else you want to add? Um, no, just to be able to. My legacy, I guess, is, you know, life's starting to take off now. You know, there's a starting to have a lot of things happen to me in life starting me a part of a lot of cultural groups and within my family I'm starting to ascend to that next level level of leadership with my father and my uncles and starting to have input within the family starting to do a lot of things within the Townsville community starting to you know just set up a youth council and we're working really closely on youth issues within the Townsville um, you know we're actually liaising with a lot of ministers and a lot of high up government people police commissioners all that type of stuff um, still teaching all that thing. So my legacy is just to, you know, for someone to, if they say, oh, do you know Tristan Nellyman Adams? And for them just to say, yeah, he's a good guy. So that's, mm. that's the only thing I'd ever want anyone to believe um, of me. So I'm just going to continue to do my thing. Um, I say yes to a lot of things, which, um, you know, is probably my a blessing and a curse, but I'll never turn anything down. So um, you know, my legacy at the moment and in Townsville was just to be a good person with good values and just be true to myself. And that's what I always have been and I won't change that. So, you know, what you see is what you get. We'll hop off this Zoom and I'll be exactly the same person. I didn't put it on just for it. Like, I'll see you and I'll still give you a hug as big as I can and all that. So it's just my legacy is just to be a good person in life. That's all it is. And, you know, you can't beat kindness. That's the biggest thing. That's beautiful and I totally agree with you because I think people remember what you radiate from within more than what you have on the outside. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I've already run two marathons, so who knows? So I'm going for third next year. I don't know where, don't know when, but even though Athens was very painful and it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, I'm, I'm going out again in 2023 to run an international somewhere in the world. I just don't know where yet. Who knows? Yeah. New York, Berlin, Hawaii, Jamaica, London, 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 Townsville. Well, I'm hoping to do Sydney in September, so you could come with me if you like. Definitely. I'll come for a trip. <laughs> then maybe London next year. Who knows? We need to find some sponsors for our running adventures. <laughs> yeah, we should. We definitely should. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. I loved our chat and I think you I think you're a good person. So thank you for being an amazing person. No, that's right, Christy. Thanks for having me. And um, 
you know, like I said, we, we're good mates. So, you know, I really cherish everything you do for me, for the Townsville Deadly Runners, for the community, for our little four deadly, um, you know, deadly little boy, men and women that call you Mamaja. So, um, you know, you're a pretty amazing lady. And it was an honour for me to be able to come on here. So thank you. That's and wonderful. everyone else who's listening, make sure you follow um, all Chrissy's things and, you know, keep up to date with what she's doing. She's got a big 2023 happening. So. Thank you, my friend. All right, have a wonderful holiday season and I will see you again soon. All right, thank you. Bye.